Well, hello. Welcome back to Out of Curiosity, our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland. And I'm Nick. And I'm just going to go right into this one. Uh, so I'm going to read the passage and then I'm going to get, I'm going to go, what the heck? All right. I'm going to read the passage and the, the question is going to be, what the heck? All that's, right. So let me just read is that the it. title of this episode. Yeah, that what might the be heck? the title of this one. So here we go. Uh, Genesis six verses one to four, and then I'll, I'll state the question uh, for us all. Uh, it says this. It's the NIV's translation. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any one of them they chose. Then Yahweh said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. It seems like a strange response. Then verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Oh, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. What the heck? What the heck? And to state the question clearly, uh, and it's not it's not necessarily a modern question, although it does come up pretty regularly when people begin to do like I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, right? Or you know I'm going to I'm going to get serious about reading the Bible, uh, or when skeptical people read the Bible, they go, "What in the world do y'all got going on here?" Yeah. And uh, it can trip people up. And so we're in this series where we're looking at the the other gods or the spirit beings. We've looked at are there other gods? What does that mean? The divine council. We've looked at the Satan, the serpent. That question. We're going to look at the fall of these beings and. And now, what's going on with the Nephilim? What the heck? What the heck is going on with the Nephilim? Okay, so let's just try to frame the the, the problem, the question here. So this is prior to the flood. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sin is spreading on the world. The human race is growing. And we have this phrase, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the the first framing in verse two of what's happening. Some kind of figures called the sons of God are marrying the daughters of humans. And then we're told in verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men of renown. Okay, so this phrase, sons of, daughters of, um, we, we've talked about this in some other episodes. When you see that phrase, it means this is the kind of person that is. So if you're called a son of man, you're a human. That's another way to say human. If you, you, you could talk about it with other adjectives, you could say if you're a son of evil, that's a way of saying like you are characterized by evil. You're an evil person. If you're a son of the light, that means you're a person who's characterized by light or goodness or something like that. So when you say sons of God, that is a phrase that genuinely means a spiritual being in the Old Testament. Uh, We would typically call them angels or the Elohim. These are the spirit beings we've talked about in other episodes. And so at a first blush reading, what seems to be going on here is the sons of God, spirit beings, see daughters of humans, that would be human women, and they see that they're beautiful. So you have spirit beings, it seems on a surface reading, seeing beautiful humans, and they marry them. So it seems like we're saying that angels or something like that are marrying humans Weird. and having children. And that it talks about, it seems to be labeling them as word Nephilim, which when we compare it to other languages, I mean, it's not a word that comes up a lot in the old Testament, but it seems to mean something like giants mm-hmm. or superhumans or something like that. And, and then it says further in verse four, they were the heroes of old men of renown. So we seem to be getting like demigods 
like, you know, this is like Hercules type stuff here. And this is a really common kind of story in the ancient world. The gods come down, they marry a human woman. This is a, you see this in Greek mythology a lot, and they have some kind of hero baby that's part God, part human. Um, at a surface reading, that, that seems like what's happening here. Um, that freaks people out for understandable reasons. And rightly so. Yeah, rightly so. <laughs> so what do we do? There's, there's three, typically, there's probably a lot more than this, but generally you're going to hear three interpretations. Okay, so one, for people who are trying to, who, who feel uncomfortable um, with, with that idea, the supernatural element, they've tried to find a more natural explanation. And here's what they usually go with. Um, remember, we had the, the incident earlier in Genesis where Cain kills his brother Abel, and he's cursed and sent away. And then Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And Seth becomes kind of the new promised line of coming from Eve. And this is where we're watching for the descendants that's going to lead to uh, to a snake crusher, that whole idea that we've talked about in other places. So some people think, well, well maybe the sons of God refer to the sons of that promised line of Seth. So descendants of Seth are the, the sons of God, meaning like they're the the chosen the race, chosen race, and then the daughters of men would represent the daughters of Cain, and so okay. this cursed race over here. So you have a race of humans that's still kind of walking with God, and then a cursed race over here, and so um, and so you now have these two together, and and the idea of this would be that like somehow this promised line that Messiah is supposed to come through through Seth um, is now going to get contaminated by marrying the cursed and wicked race of Cain. Okay. Um, there's all kinds of problems with that. Yeah, on, I don't know if that helps reading. me at all. <laughs> here's here's the, the biggest thing is it's just really hard given the the way the phrase sons of God is used in so many other places. Right. Um, to come to to get from sons of God, which usually means angels or or some kind of spirit being, to sons of Seth, that connection, uh, to my knowledge, isn't made anywhere else. Um, to call that line the sons of God, and then why would you, if you had sons of God and daughters of Cain? you might be more inclined to make that connection, but they're just called daughters of humans. So why would daughters of humans be just the daughters of Cain's line? That mm -hmm. seems to be bringing, to me, bringing in an explanation that seems pretty foreign to what's happening in Genesis 6. Okay. Um, so that leaves kind of two more supernatural options. Um, one would be really the straightforward reading that we just talked about, that what you have here are supernatural beings coming down and marrying humans and having like demigod babies. And these are, this is, according to this reading, C.S. Lewis loved this approach because this actually gives a good mythological explanation for where myths come from. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all of our stories of Gilgamesh and Hercules and all of these kind of epic stories of demigod type people might actually be rooted in history. There might actually have been before um, in, in kind of what we would call the the ancient history before the flood, that there might actually have been a, a kind of superhuman kind of race um, that came from the Elohim, the, the sons of God and humans having children. The third option is we'll see in many places in the Old Testament the idea that human kings um, are often seen as kind of godlike. They're called sons of the God and of the gods, and they might even have a, a supernatural influence behind them. Um, and so you'll see this happen in Daniel, the idea that there's kind of a prince of a certain kingdom that's a spirit being. So some people think that what's happening here is that these spirit beings behind these human kings 
are uh, possessing them in some way to go have children, and that's kind of creating a superhuman race. Um, and this is a common ancient Near Eastern thought that that the the kings of different tribes were possessed by the gods, were ha- had divine children, and that kind of stuff. And so, if that's the case, um, what what the author of Genesis is doing is really flipping that on its head and saying, "Hey, you think that all these kings claiming kind of divine uh, origin is a special good thing? We're actually telling you that's a demonic thing." Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so those are kind of the options on the table. When we step back and we look at these three views, um, I think they all have a level of plausibility. They've all been held by different people. Um, to me, there's some reasons to go to lean toward the view that this is spirit beings having children with human women. Um, now, one objection to that view is that Jesus said when people are, when uh, they bring the question to him, the Sadducees bring the question about the uh, the, the women who have multi, who are married to different husbands as widows, who's going to be their husband in uh, the kingdom to come? And Jesus says, you'll be like the angels who neither are given or given marriage. And so people would go, well, hey, there's evidence from Jesus that angels don't get married. So that seems to contradict that view. Uh, my quick response to that would be Jesus is describing, I think there, what it's supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And what we're clearly seeing here is this is not a good thing. This is not normative. It ain't supposed to be like this. <laughs> it ain't supposed to be like this. So I don't think that Jesus' teaching necessarily contradicts this one, but especially when we see how this story seems to be alluded to later in the Bible. So we have this idea of spirit beings um, that are having these kind of demigod children, but there's a couple of really interesting passages throughout the New Testament that may, in fact, look back to this. So one story comes in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus meets a man who's possessed by demons. And and when Jesus goes to meet this person, in Luke chapter 8, Garland, would you read verses 30 to 32 of Luke chapter 8? Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. How far do I go? Uh, Through 32. Okay. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. Okay, so this is a really odd story to me, that when Jesus encounters this demon-possessed man, uh, he's going. the, the demons speak, and they recognize Jesus has authority, and they're begging him, don't send us into the abyss. What is this abyss, and why are the demons scared to go there? Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a really fascinating question. So, okay, Garland, go to Second Peter chapter two, verses four and five. NIV. NIV. Yeah, that's yep. great. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, and I've got a footnote here that says Tartarus. Okay. okay. Well, I guess you got to help me with that. Uh, putting them in chains of darkness or gloomy dungeons. Another footnote in this very one verse. Let's go. Let me read it again. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to Tartarus, putting them in gloomy darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and he's going to go on. Yeah. So we get this idea that there's a certain kind of, of, of angels who were sinned, and they were bound in hell. Okay. Now remember, we see these these rebellious angels on earth all the time in the life of Jesus. But there's this other place, this abyss that those demons are saying, please don't make us go there. So there there seems to be two different locations for these fallen angels, some who are on earth, but according to Second Peter, 
there were some who, when they sinned, were sent and locked up in this place in hell. And now, what's interesting is he doesn't specifically reference these Nephilim, but it's interesting to many that when he's talking about these chained angels, he compares that to the ungodly people in the days of Noah. Mm-hmm. It's like his mind is on it, what's going on with this Noah story. He's there in Gen- It seems like P- Peter's mind is in Genesis 6. Um, and so we also have in the little letter of Jude... Uh, we never go to Jude. We never go to Jude, but we need to go to Jude. We might find out why. Right yeah, now. <laughs> so Jude, let's read verses 5 to 7. Okay. He says, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Okay, so now, again, we have this reference to angels who did not keep their proper place, abandoned their dwelling, and now they are bound. Now, when we get to the book of Revelation, there is a description of a certain kind of demon in that same word used in Luke called the abyss that are unleashed. Now, we're, this is like this is like the the mad detective's clue board here, where mm-hmm. you've got stuff mm-hmm. pinned up all over the wall and strings tying all the pieces together. But when you pull this thread throughout the whole story, there seems to be a compelling case that there is a certain select group of angels that sinned in a very abhorrent way. That they came down and broke all of the rules of their proper place by trying to marry women and having these demigod children. And God put an absolute stop to that, and he locked those demons away in the abyss. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be what's being referred to here in these passages, that this is not all demons, but a a special class uh, that have been locked away. And so it seems to be a unique historical event that happened that we're not given a lot of info about, um, but that seems to be the most coherent reading of what these Nephilim are, is that they are kind of a, a supernatural demigod race that came of this really extreme situation that happened in the ancient world. And what's what's compelling about that is in the ancient Near Eastern world, there were stories like this everywhere yeah. of the of the gods and humans having these kind of demigod children, and those are always told as a positive story. They're right. always told as look where our king came from, and the king would tell it as look at my look where our great great grandfather who was the first demigod. Now we're all in the line of this succession of god like people, and the biblical story is saying. No, 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 no. That's messing all of the way that Yahweh has has designed the world up. When you hear those stories, you're supposed to look at them and see it as an ugly thing, as an ugly way of taking power and authority, as a subversion of Yahweh's power and authority, not as a beautiful story to be told. And in that sense, it is completely counter to most of the other ancient Mesopotamian Egyptian stories that involve these kinds of events happening. And it also flips our gospel narrative on its head mm-hmm. because uh, in this story, um, the the angels are stepping out of their proper place um, to have a child with a woman that creates some kind of demigod, some kind of warlike creature. And as opposed to Jesus, who's coming out of his, we might say, proper place in the throne, um, not for a sexual relationship for one, but actually by a Holy Spirit miraculous uh, virgin birth to become human and walk as a servant Mm -hmm. and and to bring his kingdom through death. So in many ways, this Nephilim seems like a really dark spiritual counter gospel of of power. And and it it seems to be really the, the way of thinking of the ancient world around them of how power came. 
Well, that's just it's how about still, that? It's, it's still weird. I mean, we got to acknowledge it. It's still weird. And in this series that we've been in, it's helpful for us to remember. We're trying to think like the biblical audience thinks, yep. like the, uh, the, the people hearing this would think, not like necessarily modern Western people. And as we keep doing this, I think it makes the Bible really come alive in some different ways. Um, and we're going to continue in this series as we, uh, as we look forward into Out of Curiosity. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity. As we discussed, what is the Nephilim? We encourage you to look into this more in Out of Curiosity episodes 44 and 45, in Genesis 6, 1 through 8, in 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10, and in Jude 5 through 7. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.